I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, and I am your host, Sean McCraney. We welcome you tonight. If you have family or friends who want to watch the show but can't see it where they are in this country or world, give them a call. Tell them to go to www.bornagainmormon.com, and they can watch the streaming video uh, all the way through. In the house tonight, we have Mary Ellen and Janet. We have Jed and Jed Jr.'s homesick, so get over that cough, Jed, but go to work. We have Glenn and Glenn, Betty, Dan, Micah, Celeste, and Nancy and David all the way out from the great Northeast, I think. Um, now, uh, shout-outs to Are and Joachim from Norway. Uh, Andreas prays for you that you will be spiritually born again. To Jim R. Subi, to Cassidy and Delaney McCraney, who are watching us via streaming video, Ted H. in Spanish Fork, Sharon A. in Farmington, Joseph J. in Draper, Trent and Shauna in Provo, David H. in Draper, Barbara and Leon, Dale and Jerry, Joel A., Karen B., thank you so very much, uh, all of you, for all your uh, prayers and love and support. There is a uh, program that ends, I believe, on the 19th called Operation Christmas Child. And that's a, a very uh, well-known, reputable uh, gift-giving system that's uh, run by, I believe, uh, Billy Graham's son heads that up. And uh, what you can do if you want to participate in that is you can do a shoebox and go to www.calvary slc.org that's going to be Calvary Chapel's website and it gives you instructions on how to build these shoe boxes and what you do is you donate them you drop it off at Calvary Chapel Salt Lake City and they uh, they gather them up and they get them to where they're supposed to be for kids to be able to have uh, a great Christmas so if you want to participate in that we're getting we're closing in on the holiday season and we support that 1000% uh, here for sure December's Traveling Pastor in the Pub is going to be in Logan, Utah, Monday, December 3rd. All those people out in Logan, uh, Richmond, Smithfield, uh, Preston, Idaho, everything up there in that beautiful Cache Valley area, we'd love to see you. Um, Monday, December 3rd at the Golden Corral. I found out there's no Denny's in Logan, and so uh, even though I said it was in Denny's, it's not. It's at the Golden Corral. 
And all of you Christian LDS, agnostic, whatever you are, come, let's get together, eat, meet, and then we're going to retire to a hotel yet to be named to do open water baptisms for anybody who wishes to dedicate their life to the Lord and publicly profess his name. We're going to show you a brief video uh, that we took at last uh, week's Pastor in the Pub in Ogden. So let's run that now. In my, in my own life, the way I view uh, Jesus is, is there's no other way through and to heaven is, is only through Jesus. Don't believe that you can become a God as Mormons teach and so I had to leave the church. Well, I was a Mormon for 47 years. My grandparents were pioneers and in fact one of them, the statue is up in Immigration Canyon. And so I actually believed all of the tenets of Mormonism. And the thing I found when I was born again, it was like the veil was taken from my eyes so that I could see the truth. And there were many doctrines that are different. The, basically, the basic one is it's a different God, a different means of salvation. They do not believe in um, salvation by grace. It's works-oriented, and it's totally different, night and day different. Praise the Lord. I think that if you're in love with someone, um, your wife for example, you think about her all the time, you talk about her all the time, and I think if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's, it's absolutely central to everything you do and think about all the time. So it's definitely the relationship with Christ that's the difference. I think it's, um, it's having that personal relationship with Christ that in order to get to heaven, it's not by works. It's, um, it's a heart commitment, and, and I think, I believe that's the big difference between Christianity and Mormonism. It's that, that close relationship with God. Okay, uh, what I kind of found out about the Mormons and uh, Christianity in general is their belief of the Godhead. Trinity, that's one thing that I believe that would be like the key of separating all of them, which is we're uh, monotheism, and then there's more of a polytheism as far as different beliefs. Um, which is kind of hard to grasp if they say they're Christianity, which I don't understand how they can be if that's the whole foundation of Christianity, as God is, Jesus is God in the flesh. The, the big difference is the Holy Spirit and being filled with the Holy Spirit and um, being brought into the kingdom by grace and not by works and just knowing it's not about me, it's all about, it's all about the Lord and what He did because I'll never be able to do enough good things to get there and I know it. And I'm so grateful that he's so full of grace. And I know Mormonism teaches that we do need to work our way to get there. And so that, I believe, is the difference. It's an awesome time uh, to fellowship, talk with each other, uh, learn from other people. So we invite you to come out to uh, the Golden Corral on December 3rd in Logan um, from 6 to 8.30 and uh, we can have another event like that. Listen, we are having an open house here, a Christmas open house. I think it's the first time we've done it, and we would love uh, for all of you to come and see KTMW, see the studios, and we're going to give you gifts, and we're going to have food, and it'll be a great time, and let's just run the, the commercial that we're showing for that.
Hi, I'm Andy Bird. Trinity Jordan. Dixie Johnson. Sean McCraney. Ernest Coker. Vida Asiana. And I'm Greg Johnson, and we want to invite you to the KTMW Channel 20 Christmas Open House. We'll all be right here on our sets, bearing gifts, eating cookies, and waiting to meet you. So please join us Thursday, December 6th from 7 to 9 p.m. Right here at our studios. All are welcome. Everyone. Yes, everyone. Everyone except, well, maybe, um, we hope to have all of you here. Merry, Merry Christmas! Christmas! So there it is. That's December 6th, and uh, we look forward to seeing you then. Listen, in addition to Benchmark Books, UTLM Ministry, that's uh, Utah Lighthouse Ministry, Oasis Books, Christian Gift and Bible, Christ Evangelical in Orem, and Calvary Chapel, Salt Lake City, Sam Wellers in downtown Salt Lake is now carrying Born Again Mormon, or I was a Born Again Mormon. And so uh, we would just like you to, to go into Sam Wellers. It's a fantastic bookstore, and uh, give them your business. And if you happen to pick up a copy of the book there, that's great. If you uh, don't want to buy the book, I was told tonight that there's a number of LDS who refuse to buy it but want to read it. Um, you can uh, write us at www.bornagainmormon.com, and we'll send that book out to you uh, free. Um, so anyway, now for the more manipulation moment. Last week we mentioned the recent change in the Book of Mormon introduction. And since then, a number of articles and reports have focused on this change. I've had a lot of you send me these reports that were in the Trib and on the news, and I really appreciate everybody keeping me updated about the big hubbub about them making this change in the introduction to the Book of Mormon. Defenders of the Faith uh, say that the old introduction was written by Bruce R. McConkie, and was somehow, quote, not scripture, nor should it have been considered the official position of the LDS Church. In other words, the lines that read in the Old Book of Mormon introduction, quote, after thousands of years, all were destroyed except the Lamanites, and they are the principal ancestors of the American Indians, should never have been taken seriously, should never have solicited artwork and plays and stories and lessons and teachings about the American Indians. It should never have caused Mormon families in the 1960s and 70s to adopt Indian children, bring the Lamanite children into their homes in order to help assimilate them into the white culture. None of that should have happened. It's interesting, Bruce R. McConkie was an apostle and the LDS Church who penned the introduction, the LDS Church calls all of their apostles prophets, seers, and revelators. When they meet in their convention center over there on North Temple, everybody raises their hand and sustains all the apostles as prophets, seers, and revelators. And the official church allowed all their members to believe that the Lamanites were the principal uh, were the principal source of the American Indians, and uh, they built entire belief system on this premise. And now, because of DNA changes, they are mormoniciously pulling things out of their hat and uh, telling us now that that's just not the way it is. What can you trust? What can you trust from them? How many things are you going to say, this is true, I'm going to believe this, and how, how many of those things are going to change? What are you teaching your children that when they become adults are going to learn, no, that's not the case now either? 
And I'll tell you what it does to children is it messes them up in their heads when they become adults and they find out the thing that they believe their entire life is no longer true or acceptable. The worst part about this change in the Book of Mormon is that few LDS people even care. They don't care. I'm telling you, somebody could pull up a signed confession from Joseph Smith that the Book of Mormon was just a piece of fiction, and I don't think very many people would leave the church. And that's the amazing thing about it. Why? Because the LDS people as a whole are more concerned with feeling good, with being in a community, with being in their family unit that all believe these same things that are constantly changing, um, with their position, and they're controlling each other with ideas like uh, honoring your priesthood and following the prophet, that they would rather have all those things than the truth. And that's just how it goes. Truth barely makes the list when it comes to the drivers of a typical Latter-day Saint, and that's a shame. But I know there are people who watch the show who are seekers of truth. And I'm not asking you to, to believe me. I'm asking you, you can listen to me, take and check the facts that we give, but you seek, you look for yourself. And I always say, go to UTLM, check their facts. You're going to find that they are right. Check the facts and just seek for yourself and go to the Lord and ask him, God, show me truth. Open my eyes and show me the truth. And uh, I'll tell you, not much is going to change in the body uh, Mormon uh, because of events like this. They can make changes right and left. It doesn't really do anything. And the LDS leadership knows this. So they uh, surreptitiously make these changes and it doesn't really matter. The best we can hope for is that uh, individual members are going to come to know the Lord and then they will personally walk and their families will see and ask why and the change will happen like that. So keep planting seeds, my friends. Additionally, the LDS church has long claimed to be in the, position, the possession of something they called the restored gospel. Since I was a kid, they always called their church the restored gospel, meaning that uh, in the dark ages, truth was lost from the earth. Joseph Smith received revelations, saw God the Father in a body of flesh and bone, and he restored all these lost truths back to the earth. They call it the restored Gospel will hang on to your hats because the LDS leadership, the apostles, in fact, are pushing a new term in place of the restored gospel. At a recent meeting in Washington, D.C., apostles Ballard and Cook repeatedly emphasized the church position as restored Christianity. There's the new hotline that they're using. They are, Mormonism is restored Christianity. Uh... New slang. These guys are not slouches when it comes to PR. And the Christian community has to decide how long we're going to sit back and let them get away with it. How, how much of this meshing are we going to do? This, this politically correct, we just got to love each other and, and understand each other. Let me tell you something. The, this force is insane. I am not um, afraid. I'm not some uh, guy out there saying the end is near because of the Mormons. But I'll tell you. I went on a website called MRQE, which is a worldwide website that is known for having thousands upon thousands of movie reviews. It's looked at by many people. All the biggest film critics are on this site, MRQE. I click on that to look at a movie review I was thinking of seeing, and there, 
big as as half the page a church uh, an ad for the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints if you go and do a google search and you type in give me information on john chapter 15 the first three or four listings of sites have lds references these guys pull in billions of dollars and they are going to with their power they're going to sway the world and you have to see it for what it is. When we talk tonight about Nauvoo, you'll understand more and more about the thing that they have been after. Next week, you'll really get it when we talk about the, the military and political sway that they've had. So in any case, Mormon sway is here to stay. And you're going to have to decide, are you going to just keep going with it and believe it? Or are you going to look at these changes and look at what's going on and try to step back and put Jesus at the center of your life and throw the rest of it away? All right, one last thing, commentary on our church recommendations. We're going to change that. We started out 20 months ago recommending churches in the state of Utah, and we, we went and we visited many of them. Our church scouts went, and we tried to keep that list going, and we've had a lot of people who actually their feelings have gotten hurt because we haven't recommended their church, and I just want you to know we're going to, we're going to do away with the recommended churches. If the, your church teaches the Bible, if your pastor loves the Lord, you know, and if you're not, i got to be careful what I say, but just you know, uh, go find a good church and ask the Lord to lead and guide you. But we're going to cut that out now, and we're just going to recommend any uh, Christian church that teaches the core essentials of Christianity. If you want to know what those are and you don't, give us a, uh, send us an email. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear God, we thank you for this airtime. We thank you, Lord, for uh, your word. We thank you that we can look to it and give us, uh, that because it gives us, um, your truth, things we can stand on that are unchanging. We pray your spirit upon the viewers tonight, upon our audience, the volunteers, everyone who's helping, and that I'll say the things you want in Jesus' name, amen. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph. For me, the study of his life has been remarkable in that it has been a journey into the art of religion making. And with an amiable and rambling Joseph utilizing everything within his grasp to convince and control and manipulate people, uh, it's just been insane as we now pull into the city limits of Nauvoo studying church history this year. I am not attacking Joseph Smith's personal failures. Understand I probably have more. And I'm not attacking his weakness as a human being. All I, I never have. All I'm doing is saying we can assess his actions. We can detail the facts of what he emphasized, de-emphasized, and changed as he moved along this path of developing this, this new world religion. As a young teenager in 1820, Joseph was a mystic shaman type kid whose dad was out searching for treasure. And he learned the art of convincing others to believe in things that could not be seen and to put the improbable over the reasonable. In 1829, when he was about 10 years older, he presented a book that was supposedly translated from Barry Golden Plates taken from a hill near his home. And he was told about these buried golden plates by an angel who, uh, angel of light who lived on this continent as uh, a survivor of this great tribe. His name was Moroni. He's at the top of every temple that you see now. He, uh, Joseph Smith established the church in 1830, and he began to receive in instantaneous revelations 
uh, rather convenient revelations, which are now contained in the Doctrine and Covenants, which the LDS Church today holds as Scripture, as viable as the Bible. I'm going to read to you a revelation in a while from the Doctrine and Covenants. You tell me if you think it's as viable as the Bible. Time and trials brought new and more miraculous claims from the visionary young man, including the recitation of more and more advanced and strange doctrines and predictions, the translation of some Egyptian scrolls into another book the LDS recognizes scripture called The Pearl of Great Price, and an ability to motivate the masses through a strong millennialist voice. Almost everything between 1830 and 1839 was geared toward preparing the church and its people for the imminent millennial reign of Jesus Christ here on the earth and as a way to prepare the saints, those who follow Joseph, to get into these places of refuge to be prepared for this millennial return. He kept them going by saying the end is coming, it's coming. For almost a solid nine years, that was the theme. Persecution uh, pushed the Latter-day Saints out of uh, Ohio, Kirtland, Ohio, and into parts of Missouri. And then uh, out of Missouri, and Joseph put his final handprint on Mormonism in the last four years of his life as he pushed Mormonism into an entirely new direction. Speaking of Nauvoo, Illinois, LES author Bushman writes, quote, Joseph called the people to gather in Nauvoo as vigorously as ever, but in a new spirit. In 1840-1841, the refuge principle was reduced to a minor theme. For Joseph, Nauvoo, Illinois provided a new direction, and he shifted from casting a zealous prophetic voice of warning that Jesus was coming to presenting the strong and vibrant leadership of a land promoter, a politician, and a military leader. Nauvoo was known, it was like Joseph's own, it would be called Joseph Land if he, had, if he had turned it into an amusement park. And it was his land, and you have fantasy land, and you have adventure land, and you have all these machinations that came from this man were actually being lived out and played in this place not called Nauvoo. Nauvoo became the place where Mormonism first began to foster and embrace temporal prosperity meaning wealth and political muscle. This is where it really started to take form was in this place called Nauvoo. And few things pleased Joseph more than those two issues. Where earlier revelations and communications were often the dire voice of warning and the command for the saints to be separate from the world, new public communications were now centered on a positive open-door policy to the world. A Times and Season article that was a newspaper in Nauvoo read, quote, be it ordained by the city council of the city of Nauvoo that the Catholics, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Latter-day Saints, Quakers, Episcopalians, Universalists, Unitarians, Mohammedans, and all other religious sects and denomination whatever shall have free toleration and equal privileges in this city. A letter written by Joseph and littered with this new prosperity and power hyperbole was sent abroad saying in part, 
quote, let the brethren who love the prosperity of Zion, that's what they referred uh, to themselves as, who are anxious that her stakes should be strengthened and her cords lengthened and who prefer her prosperity to their chief joy, come and cast their lots with us and cheerfully engage in a work so glorious and sublime and say with Nehemiah, we his servants will rise and build. Rising and building, coming together in prosperity, started to become a major theme for in Nauvoo and carried through to Brigham Young, certainly, and then certainly in the corporate culture of Mormonism today. If you close your eyes and listen to those quotes, you can hear Gordon B. Hinckley in almost every one of them. No longer was Joseph Joseph pointed to the return of Jesus as the answer to the the wanting and troubled saints, but he had now entered into the newest and final phase of his life by offering the saints opportunities of ecumenical intercourse and the instant gratification of temporal success to anyone who desired to serve both God and mammon. From all of Mormon history, the church today pulled most strongly from Joseph's Nauvoo experiences. Prior to Nauvoo, Joseph was at one time claiming to receive an almost endless stream of revelations from the Lord, but his mind in the city that he called beautiful now produced very few revelations of significance. In fact, while Nauvoo allowed Joseph to restructure and formalize many of his deep and philosophical doctrines and theologies, the actual thus saith the Lord revelations Joseph used to have all the time seemed to just kind of become contrived. It's amazing that the LDS today can read this stuff in a book they call Scripture and believe in a man who would use God's name to promote it. Listen to Doctrine and Covenants 124 as an example. Here, Joseph is trying to attempt to command the saints to build a hotel in Nauvoo. By the way, part of the hotel was Joseph declared that God said would be an everlasting part of his personal trust for him to be able to stay in with everybody else. Now you tell me if you listen to this, if you hear Joseph's voice or the voice of God. Seriously, ready? Speaking to the, of the Nauvoo Hotel Investment Scheme, Joseph has God say in their scriptures, quote, and they shall receive not less than $50 a share in that house, and they shall be permitted to receive $15,000 from any one man for stock in that house. But they shall not be permitted to receive over $15,000 from any one man. And if they do appropriate any portion of that stock anywhere else, only in that house, without the consent of the stockholder, and do not repay fourfold for the stock which they had appropriated anywhere else, only in that house, they shall be accursed and shall be moved out of their place, saith the Lord God. For I, the Lord God, for I am the Lord, I am God and cannot be mocked in any of these things. It just blows my mind. Read Doctrine and Covenants 124. You, you're saying this is scripture. The guy's selling shares to a hotel, and God is telling him how much the price should be and how much people need to sell the shares for if they want to get out. It's unbelievable. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, what is going on in your brain that you can read this stuff and say that it's scripture? 
It's really interesting to watch Joseph go from one phase of his life to another. I mean, it's amazing uh, what his methods were. And they, these methods of his would die, and then he would embrace a new method that he would use to, to, to get the saints going and think about. He loved fresh challenges. This was what drove the men, new and exciting things. I understand that. Maybe you do too. Many people do. You know, we get going on one thing, and after it kind of proves successful, ah, throw it away. Let's go do something else. And he was like that. He loved it. In fact, in May of 1843, he said in a sermon, quote, excitement has become almost the essence of my life. When that dies away, I feel almost lost. When a man is reined up continually by excitement, he becomes strong and gains power and knowledge, end quote. This is important to understand about Joseph Smith because Mormonism today ebbs and flows on Joseph Smith's fleeting fancies, calling them doctrine or truths or eternal principles, when in reality, they were just merely his attempt to keep himself feeling alive. And he gathered everyone around him and got them going on these things uh, that he saw and that he thought would be really great for a people to embrace. A lot of them failed. Many of them worked. Even the Book of Mormon in Nauvoo, in the Nauvoo years, seemed to take a kind of a back seat. After Oliver Cowdery apostatized and took one of the two manuscripts with him, the other manuscript, Joseph decided all of a sudden to bury it in the cornerstone of the Nauvoo house. So they were actually putting the stones together on this cornerstone, and Joseph suddenly had the idea, this manuscript that's the last manuscript, because Oliver Cowdery took the other one. So he runs to his house to get it. And as he's coming back, he's thumbing through, and Ebenezer Robinson heard him say, and it's quoted, he said, I have had enough trouble with this thing. Could you imagine Isaiah taking the writings and saying, I've had enough trouble with this stuff? This is the mindset of the guy. I like him. But, you know, I like, I like, Sometimes I like people in bars, too, and, and people who just sometimes are radical and wild. But it doesn't make him good. I mean, entertaining, yes. Inviting, charismatic. But come on. In short order, and under this newfound focus, Nauvoo grew by leaps and bounds, especially with a missionary force that was pushing it overseas. 1840 saw 200 converts arrive from England. 1,200 came in 1841, 1,600 the following year. By 1844, the year Joseph had the shootout in Carthage jail and was killed, it is said 8,000 men, women, and children were attempting to make the Atlantic crossing. Joseph knew how to uh, draw a crowd. Nauvoo was becoming known as a really clean city. It had some very strict laws against vagrancy, idleness, and uh, those who couldn't give a good account of themselves. But it was also becoming known as, quote, the community of wives. The New York Herald reported in May of 1842 that Nauvoo men and women were, quote, connected in promiscuous intercourse without regard to the holy bounds of matrimony. It was Joseph's excitement need run amok. If you recall, it was in Nauvoo that the unrestrained Joseph was allowed to finally run free, and it was in these last four years of his life that he picked up the majority of his 33 to 38 extra wives. Other than the secret, salacious, and questionable activities occurring in Nauvoo, which included the absence of grog houses or bars, except for the bar Joseph managed and controlled himself. It had a functioning brothel and the building of the Masonic temple, which Joseph went through and then a week later came out with the LDS version of the temple ceremony. 
All of it was surrounded for Joseph's drive for power. And here we discover the ultimate source of what drove Joseph in these last years of his life. Power. He wanted power. And next week we're going to finish Nauvoo as far as Joseph's power goes. And we're going to talk about his military focus and the quotes of arrogance, boasting, and the power that that man sought in the last years of his life are going to scare you. They're going to blow you away. And they're going to apply very much to the world we see today of Mormonism and what they're seeking after. He was a man's man. He was a ladies' man. Children loved him. Uh, critics hated him. But he really didn't seem to give a damn at all. He just didn't care. He wanted his vision to go forth, and he did whatever it took to do it. So we're going to open up the phone lines. I have a bunch more, but I overprepared. Uh, 801-973-8820. 801-973-TV20. Uh, listen, we would like LDS callers to call. We want all LDS callers, if possible. If you're a Christian or, or nothing or have something else to say, that's fine. But we really want you, if you're LDS, to call. If you're angry LDS, if you're maniacal LDS, you will go to the very top. So have a good point. Turn your TV sets down. And uh, let's go to, oh, we haven't heard from the Bob in a while. The Bob is on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How you doing? I'm doing. How you doing? I'm doing great. Um... Now, you named me by name last week on the air as you were uh, kind of correcting a, a little a newly uh, returned missionary. Trying to, trying to help your ministry there, Bob. Well, that's, that's kind. I, I, but I, I don't normally like to be used to, uh, to correct a Mormon. Well, in that case, I think it was applicable. Well, except, you know, my, my point is in Revelation 1-6 isn't that, it, that it's mistranslated, which it in all likelihood is. It's that it's the conundrum it creates for Christians at large that uh, the ones that believe the Bible is inerrant. So you use it as, as proof that the Bible can't be trusted. No, I don't use it as truth, uh, proof in that regard. I use it as proof that the text as it's translated is not absolutely known to be correct otherwise. Which means it can't be trusted if it's not known to be correct. In, in that particular verse? Yeah, okay. All right. I mean, and, but, but it's true because it either... Either you accept what that verse teaches, which is that God has a father, which would make him polytheistic, mm -hmm. or you have to accept that it's mistranslated. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that it's mistranslated. I think it could be understood contextually, and uh, I don't think there's a problem. But you do, and that's okay. Uh, the, could, the, only problem, the only reason I brought it up is because I know that you don't agree with the way he was using that verse. Well, but is I, that right, or am I wrong? True, the, but the sense that that, that verse says, that God has a father, I mean, it, it, you know, it's the English language. If, if, if somebody has a father and, you know, to make us kings and priests to God and his father, if you were to say, I'm going to make you a cheerleader to, you know, the principal and the teachers, it's obviously two beings are present. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, um, you are just too smart for our audience. You're too smart for me. And uh, I, my hat's off to you. But I think that I used your view on that passage well and i think i was just showing that the missionary couldn't use that in the way he was using it yeah well i you know it depends i guess it depends if he takes it literally I, you he know, was I, taking I it literally agree with you that it probably doesn't say that god has a, a father right. and so forth in the sense of being polytheistic simply because right. the the underlying greek 
probably doesn't support that right. because of recent discoveries within the last 200 years. But prior to that, they wouldn't have known that. Hmm. I mean, it's the Granville-Sharp rule uh, that was discovered in the late 1700s, early 1800s. So, um, But, you know, the, the bigger issue is, is always, you know, when we get pounded on on the show about uh, the Mormons teaching that we don't believe in grace or that we have to work our way to heaven or things like that, I just find that really not, I mean, as, you're, as you'll say, you know, you remember for 40 years, nobody ever said, well, you don't need Jesus to make it to heaven. Oh, no, they never said that. Well, but that's what it sounds like when you say, well, Mormons think they can work their way to heaven. Well, they do, Bob, you know that's true. Well, we're responsible to be obedient to be saved, right? Okay, are we talking about saved or exaltation here? Well, either one. No, not either one. Well, saved both, and exaltation. to be saved... It says, you know, Hebrews 5, um, 7 and 8 says, or 8 and 9 rather, says that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all those that believe him? No, all those that obey him. Bob? Yeah. We, I, I, this isn't, uh, it isn't probably worth it for the audience because I am going to bore them and you're going to bore them and they're not into this thing, but you know as well as I do, you have to do certain things in order to live with God and that you are not saved just by faith in Jesus. You have to go and you have to do certain rites and rituals in order to live with God the Father again, as the LDS say. You know that's true and that is not salvation by grace. Well, but that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, all right. I mean, right, I mean, that's what we said. That's why I was trying to get you, you know, can't, would you react to the, the verse in Hebrews? No, because I wasn't listening. <laughs> well, it's Hebrews 5, verses 8 and 9. Yeah. And, and it says that, you know, Jesus, by the things which he suffered, learned obedience. Sure. And through that, he became the author of eternal salvation to all those that obey him. Sure. Now, so... What, what about the, the other? What about what about the other verses, Bob? That you're not mentioning. I mean, this oh, is the that's, that's wait, wait, no, 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 it's really not, Bob, because this is the problem. This is why I don't take on apologists who call the show, or I don't invite them to sit here, because we can all go through and selectively pick out verses that will make our argument. We have to read the Bible right. completely. I, I agree. All I, right, that's so why to I, do I, this I on the air, verses like this. And say, because I still believe in grace, I just believe we have to work as well. Just All like, right. Well, you you die and go to heaven with that one, and I'll go with I believe that it's only Jesus who did it, and we'll see where it plays out. But we believe that, too. Only Jesus could do it. It never ends, does it? See, this is the thing. It just never ends. But, All right, Bob. I appreciate it, man. Be scriptural. Yeah, we want to be scriptural. Bob. Yeah, well, then why, why is that Bob, a bad thing? Bob, Bob, you're not being scriptural. You're being selective. And you're, uh, you're pick, just pick the verse that you think. No, says it's that boring, Bob. I have to do this God. to you, Bob. I have to say this to you, and it hurts your feelings. And I don't want to be someone who hurts your feelings. But this is boring. Oh, I, no, what ver- you, you, you Bob, do you get it? You got, will verse? you be graceful to me and just say thank you, goodbye? Well, or likewise, you could be thankful and, and actually answer the question. Okay, there's no question here to answer. I'm gonna let you go, buddy. All right, All right bye. Okay. We get the Bob about once every seven months, and there's something in me that just knots up when I see that on the screen, but he has to have a voice, and on we go. We ask for Mormons. He is Mormon. Uh, Kathy from Nampa, Idaho. Kathy, you're on Heart of the Matter. Good evening, Sean. Hi, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Excellent. I just called to um, praise God and to thank you for following the calling that you've had and for your ministry. 
it's touched my life uh, quite a bit, and I'd like to bear my testimony because I know there are people out there that can relate to that wording. Yes, they can. Would it be all right if I do that? Uh, yes, Kathy. Will it, be, will it be quick? Yes. Okay. I was raised LDS, and um, for all you people out there who are listening, um, no one ever told me that I needed to get down on my knees and invite Christ into my life and claim him as my Lord. Uh, we got so involved with not smoking, not drinking, and all the other rules that that little thing got overlooked. And um, I want to say to you all now, just do that. Do it now, because it changed my life radically. I love you, Sean. I love you too, Kathy, and that's the, one of the best calls we've heard in, in a year. So great call. Thank you so much. Okay. God bless. God bless you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. We're going to Michael in Boise, Idaho. Michael, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, hi. hi. Is this Sean? Yes. And Michael, turn your TV down. I did now. Okay. Oh, hi. Uh, gee, it's so neat. To, I just first time I seen you on TV. Uh, I lived in Salt Lake and through the uh, '80s. Oh. And uh, I live in Boise now. Uh huh. And uh, uh, I put out a track or two. And but the, the Mormons, I know they have a zeal for God. Yeah. But they're uh, they're misguided, and uh, they need to know who the Lord is. And uh, I, I I recommend so highly for the our Mormons uh, to read Isaiah forty through forty six, where God is God alone. He says he shares his power and his glory with no other. And uh, I know they have a trouble with the uh, Trinity. And because uh, they like to mock when you bring up uh, the the three aspects, like when Jesus being baptized. Yeah. But in the he book of Hebrews, uh, it is repeated from the Psalms where the Father says of the Son, "Thy throne, O God, is forever." And God says He shares no His glory with no other. But when He says that of the Son, we see that it is the Trinity. And the book of Revelation, if you read, uh, it says, "Who was." who is and is to come, the Lord God Almighty. That is our Lord Jesus who died on the cross for us. Amen. All men must come to the foot of the cross and accept what God has done. Uh, it is so exciting, you know, uh, just to see you on TV. <laughs> well, thanks so much for the and great uh, references. And, uh, you know, when you start to see the holiness and the singularity of God, uh, your, uh, your desire to worship him and come to him fully and just throw yourself at his feet in mercy, for mercy, as a sinner, uh, it's so different than the LDS uh, paradigm of, you know, work your way and keep struggling and make yourself perfect to become a God. Oh, which gee, is, yeah. you know what? We, we all sin every day, and it's just a mercy the Lord doesn't uh, wipe us all out. You know, Amen. he owes us no apology. Right. And, you know, just like at the time of the flood, but, you know, his mercy is so great. You know, it makes you want to cry even while I'm working at work. Amen. Oh, that he's, he loves us so much. Hey, thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. I'll call you again sometime. Okay, God bless. Bye-bye. God bless you. Bye. We're going to Michelin. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. In Salt Lake City. Micheline, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? I have something that might be of interest to uh, your listeners. Okay. It's about the change uh, in the intro page of the Book of Mormon. Oh, yes. It, uh, it's from the Times of Seasons, Volume 3, Number
number 24, okay. page 943. This is a quote from Joseph Smith. It says, I wish also to mention here that the title page of the Book of Mormon is a literal translation taken from the very last leaf on the left side of the collection or book of plates which contains the record which has been translated. The language of the whole running the same as all Hebrew writing in general. And that said title page is not by any means a modern composition either of mine or of any other man's who has lived or does live in this generation. That's a great quote. Uh, the thing is, though, Micheline, is we aren't talking about the title page of the Book of Mormon that was changed recently. It's, the, it's in the introduction of the Book of Mormon that precedes the title page. That's what oh, was... Okay. Yeah, that's what was written by McConkie. Nevertheless, the quote you just gave is a great quote because the title page calls uh, God, uh, it calls Jesus the Eternal Father and says there is one God and only one God. So we have contradictions through and through, and your, your quote is applicable. But as far as the introduction goes, it's uh, talking about McConkie's uh, little uh, uh, introduction to what the Book of Mormon's about. Every LDS president, also from Joe to Gordon B. Hinckley, all made written statements that the American Indians are the Hebrews or the Israelites. Oh, without question. And they used to teach us when I was a kid. I mean, the American Indians were all Lamanites. I mean, it's just it's just Mormoniciousness run amok. That seems to be my phrase tonight. <laughs> you take. Thank you so much for your ministry. Thank you. Take care. All right. Bye. -bye. All right, bye. We're going to Vonda. Vonda in Brigham City. Vonda, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. I've been with you since the very first, and I've been thankful to have you here. I'll tell you what, it's been a pleasure to hear somebody with sense. Anyway, I got you a new word. Tell me, what is it? Well, you know how transformers morph? Yes. Huh? How about morphmanism? <laughs> Do you hear that? I do hear it. Morphmanism. <laughs> Morphmanism. That's a good word. When they uh, come out with this last one, it uh, kind of got to the point where you just have to laugh. So. Yes. Anyway, I appreciate you, and we all love you. There's a lot of people listening to you. Thanks so much, Vonda. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. I like that word, morphmanism. Uh, it's kind of scary. It's like a little creature or something. All right, we're going to Chuck and Layton. Chuck, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I have uh, kind of an offbeat question for you, and then I wanted to share a limerick for your LDS viewers. Okay. Okay, I work for a financial services firm, and in all my time there, I've never seen a payroll tax form from an LDS church, and I'm just wondering why. I mean, I know they have no paid clergy, but they got to have employees. I know they're getting paid, so they can't be volunteers. But what do you know about this? I don't know anything about it. I, do, I know nothing about question. it. That is an offbeat question, but we can find out. Okay. I'll do some research and see what we can discover. Okay, I was just curious. Yeah, it's a good question. And then my limerick. All right, I'm waiting. <laughs> Are you on edge? I am. Okay, it's, for me, Mormon doctrine is suspicious. And the more I read, it's pernicious. 
but please make no attacks. Simply research the facts, and you won't fall for what's Mormonicious. Yes! Fantastic! You are a great limerick writer. So, uh, are you declaring me the poet laureate of Heart of the Matter? You now? are the poet laureate of Heart of the Matter. Yes, I bequeath you and crown you. Go forth, write more. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, we'll see ya. God bless. Bye, bye. Oh, that was an awesome one. All right, we're going to Carrie in uh, Salt Lake City. Carrie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. I just had a question. Um, the LDS believe that Joseph Smith restored the priesthood um, or the authority to act in Christ's name. And I was just wondering if you could comment why they believe that that is such a need and also the need for a prophet. And um, I'll take your answer off there. All right, Carrie. It's a good question. Um, Mormonism, um, as instituted by Joseph Smith, was very Old Testament. And uh, it's almost as if, I mean, they took Jesus and did his, uh, took his atonement work, but they just took and they gathered everything that was Old Testament and they just said it's got to be part, if God did it in the Old Testament, this priesthood's going to continue on. They just ignored passages in Hebrew that said Jesus is our final high priest. They said that we are high priests and they just reinstituted this priesthood uh, as the authority to act in God's name. That happened uh, very mormoniciously and uh, morphonymously, and it just it really morphed its way through until it kind of became the way they did it. Um, prophets are part and parcel of that. If their their logic is if God talked to prophets like Moses in the Old Testament to reveal His will to His people, why doesn't He? Uh, why wouldn't he talk to people today? Doesn't he love you as much? They, the missionaries will tell people that. Doesn't God love us as much as he loved the people of the Old Testament? Because uh, if he did, certainly he would send prophets and carry what they do is they ignore passages like Hebrews 1, 1 where it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken unto us by his son. All right? So it's very clear in the, in the new covenant that God, he used to speak to us by prophets, but now there's no one central prophet figure that reveals God's will to the children of Israel. It is Jesus came and he is the final high priest. Um, additionally, uh, regarding that, with, with regard to prophets, Christians do believe in the gift of prophecy, and there's a difference between the office of prophet, like unto Moses, and the gift of prophecy, which men and women can have. So I hope that helped answer your question. If you have more, there's a lot of information on utlm.org, or you can order our book and we talk about priesthood. Grant Palmer's book, An Insider's View of Mormon Origins, is excellent with regard to that. Uh, D. Michael Quinn's book, uh, books are always good, Origins of Power, are excellent with regard to um, LDS History of Priesthood. All right, we're going to Don in Ogden. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Uh, uh, Sean? Yes. Uh, praise God for the ministry. Thanks, Don. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I'm curious, to where, uh, how come is the LDS people use uh, water and leavened bread for their sacrament when others, you know, wine and... Uh, a cracker or tortilla type with grape juice or wine. Um, I've heard that it's because they're afraid of the blood. <laughs> Yeah, you know, all those things, it, I'm not sure if it's they're afraid of the blood or what, but to me it just shows a disregard 
for a true understanding of what Jesus did. Uh, when they can take and they can take tap water uh, and they fill up their sacrament cups and they go to uh, Albertsons and get uh, you know wheat bread and leavened and throw it in. It shows complete disregard. I mean, they say they, they embrace many tenets of the uh, Levitical priesthood and all those things of the Old Testament, and they completely ignore the symbolism of yeast and of the blood. And so it, to me, it's just another one of those twists in twistianity that they're just twisting every little thing. They take a little twist on it. And it just, in the end, it just gets people turned about face. And so it's just one of the many things in Mormonism that takes it away from the true symbolism of Jesus and what Jesus did. And bottom line, all this periphery stuff that Mormons do ultimately ends in taking our eyes off the cross and looking in a mirror. So uh, the water and bread is just another example of that. Uh, you know, that's the best explanation that I've ever had towards... I mean, it seems to me to just be a personal slap in the face of our Lord and Savior. Yeah, it, it, it does, you know. It's just... You know, and, and, and quite frankly... Uh, well, I, I won't go into that, but I just I think you're right. It's a good call, Don, and I, I wish they would, uh, they would change that. Now, I have to be fair, in church history... Uh, when they instituted the what they call the sacrament in their meeting, they had a single cup and they drank wine. And uh, I'm not sure about the unleavened bread, but they did have differences then. But they're very clerical and they're very corporate. And uh, maybe to them it's much easier for people in Chile to get bread and water than to worry about the uh, what it consists of. And so they're able to rationalize that to a corporate level and make it much more user-friendly, McDonald's-like, all the same everywhere you go. And that might be another reason they justify it, but I don't think it, I don't think it works. Uh, if I can get one more in real quick, to where yeah. they're so adamant of the Joseph Smith translation being the, the correct translation, how come they don't go by the Joseph Smith translation of the Bible? Oh, they know it's not the most correct translation. Yeah. They, 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 uh, they have hid from that, from that beast. Uh, it's full of all kinds of stuff, and they just, they just don't, don't go by it. You know, and and if you question them and push them on that, they would probably say, "Well, Joseph Smith was a man, and he made mistakes, just like Moses made mistakes, and so we can't expect everything to be perfect." And so they'll rationalize and they'll give you an answer for it, but um, you know, they ought to just throw that that piece of work away. The last answer I got on that was that to where if all the volumes that Joseph Smith could have written, they wouldn't have filled the whole earth, or they they would have filled more than the whole earth. <laughs> oh wow, another. <laughs> Another a theft from the Bible applicable to Jesus and put, uh, assigning it to Joseph. That's unfortunate. Thanks for the call, Don. Well, hey, we love you, and hopefully I'll find you again in the airport. God bless you, brother. Oh, it's you. Okay, uh, good, to, good to talk to you. Okay, thank okay, you. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Paul from Salt Lake City. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Well, hey, Sean, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Hey, I met you, uh, I had a pleasure to meet you uh, at Heart in the Park this summer, so that was a pleasure. just want to say thanks for that first. Thank, thank you. And I wanted to um, just comment on Bob, um, your repetitive, uh, well, I don't know, however however he is. I'm not putting things in context. I think I just want to make a few points, and then I'll just uh, let you go on with your great work, if possible. Okay. Um, I guess just hermeneutics, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but um, just want to state, you know, Stating, taking the Bible as far as historic reference in context, and then as well looking at uh, the whole picture. Um, being raised a Latter-day Saint for 35-plus years, kind of seeing, uh, you know, pick and choose, and then um, if, if it goes the wrong way, 
and arguments or discussions getting kind of nasty. Right. So I think um, back to the grace issue, I guess, as well, um, just, you know, saying that works uh, before grace, uh, I think if you take the Bible in context, like you've stated several times, um, basically, I want to refer, I guess, to Paul. I can't remember the scripture exactly, but it's basically saying that we are saved through Christ's grace, at least we boast of our own actions. Yeah. I think that ties in perfectly with um, the sheer fact that being born again is required first before before anything, and then um, that, of course, you're saved through that process. Great great comments, man. I really appreciate it. Okay, um, and now this, I'll quick, quickly just kind of finish off. I just think LDS seem to get on a treadmill, and that the works that they're required to do, first first point, which is probably most important, is or they're not biblical. They have nothing to do with the biblical or Hebraic tradition. So I think uh, ordinance-based works really are thrown out of the picture, and then if you're really talking works, you need to go to the Bible and find what Christ displays as works. I guess that's my comment, and thank you, Sean. I appreciate you. Thank you. Great comments, man. Have a good night. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Ralph in Clearfield. Ralph, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hey, Ralph. I'm doing well. You have about a minute and a half. Okay. I want to thank you for last week for baptizing me. Oh, it's Ralph. Yeah. All right. Good to hear from you, my brother. And um, I want to say I'm into my eighth day of my postmortem life and into my new life. Awesome, man. And I want to um, ask you, we talked briefly last week about um, how the uh, LDS single out the singles in yeah. the state. Yes. And we're like uh, sixth-class citizens in a third-class state. Yeah. And so what I wanted to know is, could you explain what the rationale is for that? And then um, one other thing, um, could you uh, give me any scripture reference about uh, single people being as equal to married people or whatever? And I'll take your comments off. All right, Ralph. Great call. Thank you. Uh, I'll answer Ralph off the air. As far as singles go and why they uh, are kind of second-class citizens in a third-class country, as Ralph put it, when, when the doctrine is to become a god, you have to be sealed in the LDS temple to another woman or a man to another man, and you have to uh, have this eternal marriage. Um, single people just automatically are, you're just, you're just haven't made it yet. You know, you get the patronization and come on, are you, are you looking to get married? And no matter what you do, uh, you're just not going to measure up in the LDS church as a single. Uh, yeah, they have some, uh, some token singles, Sherry Dew, a Deseret book, uh, editor-in-chief. She's single, but of course she's a woman, and she can always be picked up by somebody else later in the eternities as a plural wife. And so, you know, if you, if you toe the line, there's some hope for you. But if you're a man and you're single, it's pretty brutal. Because you should be able to find a wife somewhere to be sealed to, so, so that's it. As far as someone in the Bible that was single, who would be a great uh, 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 person for us to look up to, who didn't get married and spent their life in the service of God, well, I guess we could look at Jesus. And, uh, and you know, of all the people, maybe he would be someone who shows that you don't need to have the new and everlasting covenant to go to return to live with God, but you, uh, you merely do the will of the Father and have faith in him, and on we go. So I hope that helps, Ralph. Uh, we're going to be at, uh, Melissa will call next week, we're going to be at um, 
Denny's tonight, 5th South, 125 West in downtown Salt Lake City. If you're looking for a church uh, locally, come to Lord's Word. We meet at uh, the Gateway Theaters from 9.15 till 10.15 every Sunday morning and then at the U of U. Until then, we'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. Gonna break my rusty cage and run